0: My name is Andrea Bomstad, and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church, or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. It's good to be with everybody this morning. Um, so I was driving here um, and, oh, I'm sorry. There's your cliffhanger. I was driving here. Uh, I was driving here. I I have to know what the orange, bit. I I have to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done. Uh, So yeah, I'm driving here this morning um, and I'm holding my daughter Amelia's hand. She's sitting in the front seat. I'm holding her hand. And this has nothing to do with the message. This is just, I want to be faithful, but I feel like God has something for somebody this morning. And I feel like the Spirit says, what do little girls need? And then I felt like he said, um, every woman needs the same thing. And then he changed it. I felt like the Spirit said, what do little boys need? Every grown man needs the same thing. And I suspect that this morning our Heavenly Father wants to do some fathering. And so I I say that to hopefully prepare your heart, because I think He has something for every single one of us. I think He has, namely Himself, but I believe He wants to minister to us in the way that only a father can. So that being said, I'm going to jump in. Uh, we are in this series, in this season really. I don't even want to call it a teaching series. It's like a season that we're in as a church. And we, I guess we've kind of titled this season, if you will, priesthood. Um, and it's all about this idea of us restoring our priestly identity. When I say priestly identity, I mean that part of, part of what it means to be a Christian, part of, part of who we are as Christians is we are a priesthood. We are a collective of priests, and a priest is a person, a priest is a person who orients their life around ministering to God, around blessing him, around worshiping him, around praising him, around, around demonstrating their devotion to him just because he's worthy. In various different ways. And and that how that, that, that paradigm shift is huge. It literally means that everything that we do in our life, so think just take a moment, think about everything that you do in your life that you and I, we have the opportunity to do that from place of devotion to God. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. And, and we're in this, uh, we've been in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18 for a month now. Um, I'm gonna read it to you really quick out of the ESV. If you guys have this, throw it up there. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. This is his strategy for discipleship. It says, and we all... Again, this is a collective, corporate thing. It's not an individualistic thing. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's this this concept, this biblical concept, that we become like what we behold. And when I say behold, I mean whatever we give our attention to we will start to look like that that with which we give our attention to. And because this is a reality of life, Paul's going, look at him. The the purpose for your life, like the reason you were created, the reason I was created was to become more like Jesus. And when I say become more like Jesus, I'm not talking about like you're going to be divine, like you're going to be God. No, you're going to be disciple. So not divinity disciple like becoming more like Jesus that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus a disciple of Jesus is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus and obey Jesus and operate like Jesus in every single area of life and a huge part of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus is to is to is to put on that identity as a priest a part of a collective priesthood people who orient their lives around ministering to God, blessing him just because he's worthy and not just for a couple hours on the weekend. Every moment of our lives, guys, you become like what you behold. Um, I, was, uh, I was doing some research recently about um, this idea of becoming what you behold, smartphone usage in America um, I talked about this with the parents, so you guys will already know this. The youth parents, the average teenager spends seven hours a day beholding their smartphone, giving their attention to their smartphone. Um, the average American, so that just includes everyone. Guess what the number is per day? Seven, five, four, Who said five? Okay, it's just over five hours a day. Okay, and now here, listen. I'm not judging smartphone usage. I'm not saying you're bad because you're spending that much time on your, on your smartphone. All I'm saying is, is we become like what we hold. And so I, I want us to be people who live with intentionality when it comes to this stuff, okay? Now, uh, a couple weeks ago when we, when we started introducing we, our first week in 2 Corinthians 3.18, um, if you remember, I talked about Peter's experience out of Matthew 14, and it's the whole, it's the whole moment where, where Jesus is walking on water, and then Peter gets out of the boat in the middle of a storm and walks on water like Jesus. And then if you remember the story, what happens? He's, he's fixated on Jesus. He's, he's focused on Jesus in the midst of the chaos. And then what happens? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. His attention, then he beholds the storm, if you will. And what starts to happen to him? Yeah, he starts to sink. But yet, when he's looking at Jesus, he's doing what Jesus was doing, you become like what you behold, right? Peter sunk when he took his eyes off of Jesus. You become like what you behold. Um, You can guess what we're going to talk about today, obviously. Last week, Herrick preached one of the best messages I've ever heard on beholding God in the Bible on the importance of of having the scriptures be a regular part of our lives, right? He said, good luck growing spiritually without the Bible. And I could not agree more. It's amazing. The the different spiritual disciplines that we see in the life of Christians for the last 2,000 years, like Bible reading, uh, prayer, fasting, service, praise, all these different spiritual disciplines that we engage in, guys, what they are is they're opportunities for beholding. They're opportunities to behold him, to give our attention to him, because when we see him clearly, dude, everything changes, including ourselves. And so, what, what, what can tend to happen, especially in like uh, more religious circles, is, is the, 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 the end, like the, the, the whole point is like, just read your Bible. No, you read your Bible to behold him. And so, people will literally track how many days a year they read their Bible, which I'm all for Bible reading. Herrick talked about this last week so eloquently. The scriptures are a gift. But what's the point? The point is not to make the check mark on your reading plan. The point is to behold who? Talk to me this morning, please. Jesus, baby, come on. Like, it, the point is to behold him. And so whenever we gauge in these spiritual disciplines, that's the point. So Bible reading, like, go back and listen to that, so good. Um, when we serve, like even uh, Sunday mornings, right? We're, we're, there's so many different things happening right now that you don't see. Right? There's, there's people serving in kids' ministry. There's people who served in SEP and people who serve in Teardown and, and, the, and the band and the tech and the, the welcome team and the, all the different things. Like this idea of we're priests who orient our lives around ministering to God. Who are we primarily serving? Do we serve each other? Absolutely. But who are we primarily serving? Yeah. It's, it's primarily for him. And so this is the concept that we're talking about. Like, we want to be, we want to live as priests. It's the way that God created us to live. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the aspects of that is beholding him in everything that we do. So whether it's service or whether it's praise, when we, when we, when we offer him praise in the morning, like, it's, it's ultimately an opportunity to behold him. It's for him, right? Prayer, fasting, the whole things. Now, as wonderful, as important, as powerful, as beholding God is in these various spiritual disciplines, I believe that there's something, there's an opportunity to behold God that's even more powerful than those. Like, game-changingly powerful. Like, change-your-life powerful. That's what I want to talk about this morning, okay? I can't think of anything that comes even close to what we're gonna talk about today as an opportunity for beholding God that will, <laughs> that will insert power into your life, okay? That's your cliffhanger. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we worship you because you're worthy. And so we ask you to father us today. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. I pray for every heart in the room this morning. I pray for the distracted heart. I pray for the heart that's full of life and faith and goodness. I pray for the heart that's just kind of barely hanging on. And everybody in between. I pray for the heart that's struggling with bitterness. I pray for the heart that is insecure. Show us Jesus. Please show us Jesus. That's my prayer. Amen. Okay, so when we started talking about, you know, you become like what you behold, we started using Peter's story, right? The walking on water piece. I want to stay with Peter, okay? So... I want to stay with Peter. I want to go through some of Peter's story because there's something really profound, this this most powerful opportunity for beholding that will literally change your life. It's found in Peter's life, okay? So um, I want to look first at Luke chapter 5, okay? Luke chapter 5, we're going to be in the CSB translation. There'll be a bunch of scriptures. I'm going to basically go through elements of aspects of Peter's life. I'm going to jump kind of in between the four gospels, not because I'm trying to conveniently do something other than there's some accounts that are just more vivid than others. And I want to kind of, I want to kind of grab some of those more vivid ones because I think they can be helpful. So we're going to start in Luke, Luke chapter five, and I want you to hone in on two characters throughout this whole entire thing. I want you to hone in on Peter, also known as Simon, also known as Cephas, same guy, okay? So when you hear Simon, who is that? Peter. Peter, yeah. So I want you to hone in on Peter, on hone in on Simon, hone in on, hone in on Cephas, and I want you to hone in on who? On Jesus. All right. Luke chapter five, starting in verse one, we're going go to go ver- to verse eleven. Early on in Jesus' ministry, it says this: as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Genesaret. Verse two. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. That's who? Yep. And asked him to put out a little, far, little farther from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So get the picture here. Jesus is in Simon's boat. He's in Peter's boat. The crowd's on the shore. He's teaching them God's word. Verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water And let down your nets for a catch. Verse five, master. This is before, this is, Peter doesn't know who Jesus is. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Okay, those of you guys that have read this before, you know what's about to happen. Okay, but before we move forward, Peter's going, we fished all night and you want me to let down the nets? Friends, please don't underestimate what simple obedience to Jesus can lead to. Uh, I'm gonna preach long today. Um, listen, look around you. I never in a million years Never in a million years. The people who have helped plant this church, some of them are not in this room. Some of them are from our our family of churches and stuff. I never in a million years would have thought that this would be happening. And I've just seen how simple acts of obedience over the last decade, decade and a half have resulted in God ushering more of his kingdom, more of his blessing, more of his provision, more of his faithful love. Please, please, please don't underestimate don't underestimate what simple obedience to Jesus can look, can lead to in your life okay verse 6 when they did this they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Verse eight, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. So he falls to, falls to his knees in front of Jesus' at Jesus's knees and says, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Instant perspective on who Jesus was and who he was in light of who Jesus was. Verse nine, For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Check out what Jesus says. Don't be afraid, Peter, Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Some of the other translations say, from now on, you'll be fishers of men. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Left everything. Peter saw Jesus. He beheld Jesus for who Jesus truly was, right? And what did it lead to? It led to his conversion. He went from not being a disciple of Jesus to leaving anything and everything behind that would get in the way of him following Jesus and going, I'm now going to follow this guy. Because he's God in the flesh, he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's got power that nobody else has. Peter saw Jesus for who he was and he left everything to follow him. Really quickly, friends, if nothing changes in our lives as a result of following Jesus, that's not following Jesus. Here's what I'm saying, like, if you go, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna be a Christian. And nothing, as a result of that, nothing changes in your life. You don't leave anything behind. You just keep doing it. That's not actually a conversion. So before we even get into this, this amazingly powerful thing that I'm going to talk about, talk about, I want you to see from Peter's life something profound. That in order to actually take the first step into Christianity, the first step into, into discipleship to Jesus, you've got to behold him for who he truly is not for who your parents say he is, not for who other people say he is, although that's really powerful and wonderful and beautiful. you got to have a personal revelation of Jesus. And I want you to know that as I'm talking right now, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, give us a revelation of who you are. All right, so then what happens? If you know the story, Peter, he spends the next three years rolling with Jesus. Okay, he sees Jesus do all these incredible things. He sees Jesus give sight to the blind. We talk about these miracles like this, as though they're, like they're common. blind people being able to see. He sees. He sees. That, he sees Jesus give deaf people he, he restores their hearing. He sees Jesus raise people from the dead. He sees Jesus teach with wisdom and power that no one has ever taught with. He see he. He has a front row seat into watching God in the flesh engage with his creation in power every day. Three years, okay? So Jesus gets, or Peter gets a front row seat at Jesus. Now I want to fast forward. Fast forward to the end of those three years, the last night of Jesus's life. Can you guys put up uh, Matthew 26? Matthew 26, starting in verse 31, I want to read into verse uh, 35. So this is the last night of Jesus' life. He's with his disciples. It's about to go down. Okay? Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's about to give his life. He's about to be, yeah, let's let's just read it. Then Jesus said to them, his disciples, tonight, all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then Jesus says this, but after I have risen, oh, he knows exactly what he's about to do. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Verse 33, Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away, Jesus. Can anybody relate to what Peter's saying here? I can. Like, Let's, I'm not a perfect person. I don't love Jesus perfectly. I don't love other people perfectly. I, I, I need his grace and mercy and forgiveness every moment of every day of my life. But I love Jesus, man. Like as much as I can know how to love, I love him. Like I, I, I desire to please him and all these things. I'm a pastor, right? I'm not gonna fall away from Jesus, no way. I suspect that's exactly what Peter felt in that moment. Maybe you like you you like me can relate to Peter's zeal. Verse thirty four. Jesus responds, "Truly, I tell you, tonight, before the rooster crows, so before the sun comes up in the morning, you know, caw caw. That's actually not a rooster, is it? What bird is that? Crow. Yeah. Somebody give me a good rooster. Cr- like, let's redeem this moment. The zeal and passion of cock a doo <laughs> Well done, Peter. But that's what he's getting at. He's saying before the sun rises up in the morning, right? Truly, I tell you, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me not once, not twice. How many times? Three times. Check out what Peter says. In response to Jesus, going, this is what's going to happen, bro. Peter goes, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. All right, let's fast forward a few hours-ish, okay? What happens? Um, Judas, you know the story, Judas betrays not only Jesus, but all of the disciples, right? Sells Jesus out for silver, Right, the, the, the religious leaders come, they arrest Jesus, super sketchy, middle of the night, like not, it, it was rough. And what they do is they, they, they drag Jesus before the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin just, just think like a Jewish court. And so so Jesus is, is inside, right, before the Sanhedrin, and then Peter's outside in the courtyard, but the, the court you could always kind of see into the courtyard from inside, so it's kind of like in different places, but they can see what's happening, and... Let me just read it to you. Um, I'm actually gonna read out of Luke. Again, this is one of those examples where it's kind of more vivid. If you want, you can read it out of Matthew 26 later, but I wanna read out of Luke 22. Luke 22, 54 through 62, thanks guys. So like I said, he's arrested, right? They seize Jesus, they lead him away, brought him to to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. I'll never deny you, Jesus. Following at a distance. So they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. So get the picture. Jesus is inside before the Sanhedrin. Peter's outside in the courtyard, okay? Verse 56, when a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He didn't play stupid. He made a defendant, I don't even know the guy. 58, after a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Check this out, verse 61. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. (laughs) Peter's in the courtyard watching Jesus be beat up mocked, ridiculed. He's on trial. They're literally getting ready to to carry out their plan to murder him. And in the midst of all that, Jesus gazes out to the courtyard, makes eye contact with Peter while the rooster's crowing. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I know you've heard this story a bunch of times. I can't think of a lower moment for Peter. This isn't the only time Peter messes up. He's gonna mess up after this. He's gonna kind of have some racist tendencies if you read about Galatians but I think this is the low point. Like, can we just agree this is a massive failure? Yeah. yeah? Peter massively fails, okay? He blows it big time. Anybody else in the room ever blow it big time? Me, Peyton, and Mark, and Erica, and Mike. God bless all you guys, teach us. Nobody but hear me, like, we can laugh about it but I'm, I'm deadly serious. You ever blow it? You ever like straight up disobey God's ways and the ways that you interact with him or the ways that you interact with others? The word sin, what it literally means is to miss the mark. Like if you're aiming for the bullseye, you miss it. Peter really missed the mark on this one. And he did it publicly. (laughs) And and they wrote about it. (laughs) That's a a tough one. Peter denied Jesus and Jesus, Jesus watched it go down. Dude, isn't it true, like, we sin as though Jesus isn't watching? So you, you know the story, right? By the morning, Jesus is crucified. They beat him, they mock him, they rip his beard from his face, down, uh, crown of thorns, the whole thing, like brutal execution. He's crucified. And uh, three days later, there's these reports start to come out that like, Jesus is actually alive. Peter hears about these reports. Some of the disciples are even saying like, I saw him. I, I, I interacted with, with Jesus post-death with a, with, a, with a resurrected Jesus. So Peter hears about this. Let's read what happens next, shall we? John 21. John 21. Can I just say how awesome it is to hear pages turning? Oh, I love it. Well done. Guys, bring your Bible. Okay, John 21. So Jesus has been revealing himself to people. And can we just, again, acknowledge that Jesus was killed. And now he's alive, and he's, he's talking to people. He's engaging with people, okay? His disciples, verse uh, 21, or sorry, verse 1 in, in John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together, Verse three, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. How many times when we bloat, when we fail, we run back to stuff that we did in like old life. That's what's happening here with these disciples, by the way. Verse four, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. So he's a long way off. They can't, you know, they can't see who it is. Later you'll read, it's like a a couple hundred yards or something. Verse five, friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Verse six, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Same thing happened at Peter's conversion. I want you to see how incredibly personal Jesus is with his people. Verse 7. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, it's probably John who wrote this, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish lying on it and bread. Does that sound familiar? Fish and bread. For some We didn't read it today, but for some of you, you know. Jesus is, Peter saw Jesus do this at least twice, He took fish and bread and miraculously fed thousands of people. I think Jesus orchestrated this whole thing. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This is incredible. These are the guys that just deserted Jesus. They deserted him. Peter's the guy who just denied him and Jesus watched it go down. What's he doing to them? He's serving them. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, here we go. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, Follow me. Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. Three times Peter denied him. I'm, you guys know that. Peter said, I'd die for you, Jesus. Jesus goes, this is how it's gonna go down. Follow me. Listen, Peter denied epic fail, massive fail. He blew it big time, man. Peter could have run away when he heard that Jesus was on shore. What did he do? He dove in the water. He, he, He did whatever it took to get as close to Jesus as possible. And how does Jesus treat Peter the failure? Does he pretend like nothing happened? Let's just brush it under the rug, everything's cool? No. Does he condemn Peter? Peter, how could you do this? You're better than this, Peter. How could you do this? Does he shame him? Peter, I'm so disappointed in you. That doesn't happen. No, what does he do? He serves him and then he restores him. He restores him back to his calling, his purpose, to shepherd God's flock. Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. And then what's he do? He gives Peter the same invitation he gave him at his conversion, which was what? Follow me. Friends, some of you, right now in your life, you're living in shame. Shame of the ways that you've blown it, hiding it, pushing it down. Like, you know you've blown it. You know you've messed up. You know you've failed. And you need to be restored, friend. Pardon the pun. Here's my message to you this morning. I don't know if there's anything more powerful than beholding Jesus in your failures. I don't know if there's anything more profoundly impactful on a human being's life than after you have totally blown it, to behold Jesus in all of his glory. Look at him. When you screw up, when you let people down, when you hurt them, When you disobey or dishonor God, even look at him. Guys, what's Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What is he like here? How does he treat Peter after he failed? Oh, he's radically patient, he's unbelievably kind. He's so forgiving. Oh my goodness, isn't he forgiving? And he's gracious. Isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? All right, I'm gonna close with this. I'll call the band up. And if you're on the ministry team, maybe you can start to make your way. Um, Here's my goal. My goal is the next time you blow it that you would, that you wouldn't run from God that you wouldn't live in shame, that you would behold him, that you'd look at him because he's forgiving, because he's gracious, because he's kind, because he's patient, because he's so unbelievably faithful like we sang this morning. He's so dedicated to his kids. God is the best father. Of all the opportunities in life for, for beholding God, I can't think of anything more powerful than beholding God in our failures. Why? Because beholding God in our failures is the very first step to repentance. I'm going to say that again because you need to hear it. Beholding God in our failures is the very first step in repentance. Okay, track with me. Step one, you blow it. Step one, you fail. You sin. Right? You give into the flesh. You whatever. You disobey God. Step one, you fail. Step one, you sin. Step two. In the midst of that, you're faced with a choice. What do you do now? Shame? If you choose to keep wearing shame, it will continue to perpetuate a lifestyle of resisting and rebelling against God. However, if you're headed towards sin and you stop and you behold you just stop for a moment and you look at him for who he truly is. Not for who you, th- you feel that he is. Not for who, honestly, satanic, demonic powers and principalities would try to influence you that he is. Oh, he's so disappointed in you. He's giving up on you. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's not the voice of the Lord, friend. The voice of the Lord, we we just read it. We read what Jesus would say and do, what he says and does. Step one, you blow it. Step two, you behold the glorious, faithful Savior. And step three, you turn away from sin and towards the Savior, the forgiver, the lover, the redeemer, the restorer. That is what repentance is. Literally, repentance is is the changing of your mind, the changing of your direction. You're heading this way. Stop. Change back to the one who loves you. Listen, that's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who every day of their life, they're identifying the ways with which they're heading in the wrong direction and they turn, they behold Jesus in all of his glory, and they step back into who they really are as his beloved. So can I ask you a favor this morning? Can you knock off with the shame? Can you put it on the altar and just let, like set it on fire? Can we be men and women who actually become experts at repentance? Like a lifestyle of repentance. That's what a mature Christian is. i That's what a a Christian is. Someone who beholds God in every area of their life, especially their failures. Why? Because it's the very first step in repentance. And what does repentance lead lead to? What do we see with Peter? What does repentance lead to? It leads to restoration. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? (sighs) Jesus came preaching the gospel. He shows up on the scene. Mark 1, he goes, repent and believe the good news. Do you have any idea how gracious and amazing of an invitation? God showing up and going, hey, repent. It's the most kind, most like wonderful, most loving thing that he could do. He's inviting us to turn, to be restored to him. That's the life of the Christian. So friend, what we're going to do now is we're going to respond to the goodness and the glory of God. God. An invitation, turn. It, it's an invitation. He's He's not like, turn or I'll kill you. Like, and don't get me wrong, he's holy. He would be just in doing so. But he's kind and he's patient and he's loving and he's gracious. So what are some of the things in your life right now where you're you've blown it? I wonder what would happen if just for a moment you got a glimpse of the glory of God in the midst of that failure, that he's forgiving, that he loves you, that he laid his life down for you, that he willingly went to the cross. He said, he said um, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down out of love and devotion and faithfulness to his bride, that is his church, that is you. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak right now. I ask you to speak right now. Begin to bring things to people's minds right now that you want to set them free from. I feel like God's highlighting addiction. Like things that you're chained to. And I don't get the sense that it's like the most, uh, here's how I get the like sense that it, that it involves. The things that you run to. I know I talked about so, like the smartphone thing. Some of you are running to things and your smartphone is just the gateway to your real God right now. And God's going, no, no more. Take up his invitation, turn away from him. Behold God in your failure. the gracious Savior who willingly opened His veins. In like God's highlighting anger. Spirit, I pray, I pray that you'd set people free from ungodly anger. I feel like he's highlighting bitterness. The root of bitterness defiles many. So Holy Spirit, I pray for freedom and release from the bondage of sin, the the shame of living as failures when we belong to an eternal family because our heavenly Father has intervened on our behalf. He is not passive. He is active. Bringing deliverance, displaying faithful love, steadfast love to generations. Holy Spirit, help us to behold your glory, God, in our failures so that we can turn and be restored. We love you. We ask you to to lead our time now as we respond to your goodness. Minister to us as we minister to you, Lord Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, we got about 30-ish minutes, plenty of time, 25-ish minutes before Eric's gonna come up and pastor us and close us. This is time, yeah, you guys make your way to the front. This time is for us to respond to God and to engage with him. This is a time of, 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 for you to offer praise to him for who he is and what he's done. This is a time for you to receive ministry from trusted men and women who are making themselves available to pray over you. Um, maybe there's some things that you, God's highlighting right now that he wants to free you from. Maybe there's some failures that you've been carrying for a really long time and God's like, no more. Lay it down, man. Lay it down. Experience the, the easy yoke. His burden is light. Like he really, really loves you. Can I challenge you to actually receive that? Can I can I challenge every single one of you, no matter what you do right now, if you're too afraid to praise, if you're too afraid to come forward for prayer, whatever, can I challenge you to yield to the grace and the goodness of God in your life? All right, cool. Enjoy him. Will you guys lead us and serve us? You can come down anytime, receive prayer, and Herrick will be up to pass, dress, close us in a bit. Love you guys.